I don't think, so I'm, I am not downplaying, but I don't think that the huge problem here is that Christianity has an image problem. I think the real problem is that Christianity poses a problem to the cultural status quo. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. I think on our last podcast, on our conversation around He Gets Us, toward the end there, I was, uh, if you if you listen to that, you can see that I was kind of torn in between about how I felt about the whole thing. Obviously, some things to critique, obviously some things to celebrate. And then one of you, and I won't share the name, you know who you are, sent us a helpful link to a podcast um, that was kind of responding in advance to some of the criticism that went around the He Gets Us campaign. Many of you will have seen the Super Bowl ads or ads in other places um, around billboards, depending on what city you live in. And um, listen to that, really appreciated that thoughtful feedback. And then Cameron listened to a good bit of it. And we wanted to clarify a couple things in response to that. So, um, because it's help a picture in your mind here, separate out two things. There's the, there's the, he gets us campaign in and of itself, but then there's the style of cultural engagement that the, he gets us campaign represents. And we, I think want to take some time to say more about both of those. And because it's, it's so, um, endemically represents so well a changing shift i think culturally in the concept of apologetics um evangelism pre-evangelism and cultural engagement in general and so i i know it sounds like we, we just did a podcast on this but we want to come back and clarify and think through and ask some other follow-up questions that i think will be good for any of you who are interested in the future of the church's engagement with culture in the next or well, the rest of your life listen in here cameron over to you well, I think it's worth pointing out that we're, I think we're dealing with two different paradigms right here, Nathan. And one is, so, or actually, let's just two different models of ministry. And so we'll use some of the terminology that was used in this follow-up podcast, or actually, it wasn't a follow-up, this, this sort of preemptive podcast. So it's Ed Stetzer, who was a he, so Ed Stetzer? Who's now, I believe, is he the president of Talbot he's now? A, yeah, dean of school of theology. Yeah, Talbot. dean of school of theology. Okay, because he's worn a number of different hats. He was he was directing the Billy Graham Center there for a while. He was working with Christianity Today. So he's he is just all over the place. Very articulate communicator, and I think his area of expertise is statistics. Actually, I know that hmm. he's a he's a real statistical whiz. So lots of interesting facts about him, but. Likely you've read an article or two of his, or perhaps one of his books. Well, and he but shows he was, up in Christianity Today with some frequency, I think. Quite a bit, yeah. So he served as a consultant for the He Gets Us ad campaign. I was I didn't know that. So it was it was good to hear from him firsthand on some of what he some of his thoughts on it. He he definitely he categorized it as pre evangelism. So it's we could probably spend mm -hmm. a little bit of time talking about that. But just to start us off. There are there are two different models going on right now, I think. One is one maintains that Christianity has an image problem. And so that what 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 we need to do is provide a holistic picture of what Christianity actually is for the world. And then people will be drawn to that. So mm -hmm. think about Paul Gould's book, Cultural Apologetics. It begins with the example of McDonald's. And their problem, their image problem after the release of the documentary Supersize Me. And he draws a comparison between McDonald's and Christianity. So similarly, Christianity has an image problem. 
hypocrisy, televangelists, that sort of thing. And so what we need to do is restore that vision. And we need to do that by having, you know, the Christian imagination, the Christian conscience and story in, you know, basically presented in such a way that what people will be drawn to it again. So that's one model. Christianity has an image problem, so we need to present we need to make it presentable. The other model that's emerging now is saying the opposite. No, it's not that Christianity has an image problem, it's that we are in an anti-Christian culture. And so if Christianity is understood, it's going to be rejected by most people simply because it flies in the face of all of our deepest cultural assumptions now mm -hmm. that you are your own, that self-expression is, is one of the, the highest goods that you can be whatever you want to be, that sort of thing, especially, you know, with regard to sex, sexuality, sexual ethics, that sort of thing. So I think it's worth, it's worth pointing that out. I think these two models are often in conflict with one another. Yeah. Well, so here's where it gets interesting though, because behind those two conflicts, you're going to have radically different um, ideas about who is the group that's going to fix this. So mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago, Cameron, you were involved in something and you were about to beat your head off the table. And cause you were in a meeting where basically, and I'm paraphrasing here and keeping it vague intentionally, the sentiment mm -hmm. was, look, the church has failed. And so the business leaders are going to have to be the one to save Christianity. Mm -hmm. We've got to get mm -hmm. the right businessmen together. They're the movers and shakers in the country who actually know how culture and Yep. commerce work, and they're going to solve this. And so I think when you listen to a podcast or something that's talking about the He Gets Us campaign, that starts off saying, look, this is a group of businessmen who very well to do, had a lot of money, hired a bunch of marketing people, and then brought along some theological consultants. <laughs> yeah. Right off the bat, I was like, oh, Cameron's hackles are going yep. to raise here. Because there's a... Now, look... I, I hope the Lord blesses whatever business you're part of as you're listening to this. And it's wonderful that there are Christian businessmen and women who are leaders and, and the church needs it. The world needs it. Um, mm. Thinking out loud together needs it. Like we, we live off of the excess that God has provided in other people's lives in order to be able to help people wrestle with questions. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you think that the problem with the, is that the churches have basically failed and that business and business marketing and business models are going to be the thing that saves the reputation of Jesus. That's a fundamentally different project than what most churches yeah. are on, which is the other paradigm you're talking about of saying, no, actually, when we follow Jesus, it automatically puts us at tension with the cultural mm -hmm. around us. And it's difficult. And how do we live well in the midst of this? And mm -hmm. so you get the image problem or the, hey, it's just difficult problem. And then the solutions are going to be, hey, this is a business issue. We just need a good marketing plan. Or, hey, we need discipleship. We need Christians who are willing mm -hmm. to live out their faith, even when it's really difficult, and recognize that the world is rejecting the message of who Christ is and to keep your chin up um, and and work hard and be a good witness for who Christ is in a challenging time. So those are the – and I think you can see which of these Cameron and I are falling into yeah. by um, – <laughs> Sure. the way in which we're setting it up. But it's important that we set it up that way because those very much are the options on the table. And, oh, by the way, Cameron and I worked for an organization that had a multi-million dollar budget. And mm -hmm. like, we're not, our hands aren't clean here. Like we've, right. we've played this game and mm -hmm. we're coming out of the other side of it saying, hey, you know what? 
cool. You got $40 million a year. That doesn't matter if some other things aren't in place. Um, yep. So we, we've kind of been there. We drank the Kool-Aid for a little bit, and now we're on the other side of that. So, mm-hmm. so this is the wrestle. I think even if you look at James Davidson Hunter's book, To Change the World, that was 2010, where he's saying this standard model of cultural engagement is not working. Um, and so it's difficult for us, I think, those and you who are listening, we're all living in this time in which there's a radical transformation, one direction or the other, of saying, what is the new paradigm and the new model? And maybe it doesn't have to be an either or. But I think in times of transition, that can get confusing because both pieces do tend to seem like they're working. But as we move forward, one of those is going to become primary and the other secondary. Yeah. I mean, I think Nathan and I mean, so as he's as Nathan has said, you're listening to two people who have changed their perspectives on this one. And part of that is has come from where we were in the past and what we observed. And also part of it is, I think, just come with with age and with our, eye, you know, looking at the culture with our eyes wide open. I mean, I think a paradigm response to that ad, though, that would illustrate. But what <laughs> what Nathan and I are saying here would be was the one from. I'll say her full name. Everybody always just says AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I think. AOC, her her response saying that it was, you know, thinly veiled fascism, basically, the ad. Well, I mean, I think <laughs> there there you go. I mean, th- this is... So, oh, but wait. The response is to... But, but, it, but if you listen to the people who, they're saying, look, when AOC says that, a million people are going to go to our website to say, what is this? And that's that's great. Mm-hmm. If it creates controversy, yep. that's part of the plan. Um, and your yeah. friends are going to be talking about it. So, and well, and mm-hmm. proof, case in point, here we are talking about it for a second episode. Um, so on one hand, sure. you're like, okay, yep. we're talking about it. But yeah, everybody I knew was talking about it, but it wasn't positive. So I, it's kind of like, Whoa. yeah. Well, I mean, again, there, so there may be something to that, I suppose, but it's very, that's, that's, that's American pragmatism 101. You know, all publicity is good publicity. Yeah, I mean, we're we're talking about it's so what what part of what is strange when you hear Ed Stetzer and others talking about this is yeah you know they assembled I mean this was expert marketers that was one of the phrases that was used and these people the the ad campaigns campaigns that they did before were not Christian now when I hear phrases like that that's that I can I can hear that sounds to me as though there this is supposed to boost the credibility of what's being said. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, because these people they're so successful. I mean, they work in the secular world. That would be sort of tantamount to saying, well, this Christian band are so good that they're on a secular label. You know, so they've gotten that kind of validation. So all I can say is, Nathan, I'm at a point now where I don't find that very very i don't it doesn't carry much sway for me because what i care about most is not necessarily reaching the biggest audience or the broadest audience i care about the integrity of the message and well, where so, the integrity of the message is concerned you're going to have a strong reaction in our moment because i do think our culture is has reached a place where by and large your average person going who's just going with the flow is going to find a good deal of christianity repugnant Mm -hmm. well so so here's the the flip side of this though so something positive i see in it and and i can't figure out which angle that he gets his campaign is is coming from here 
is that there is a tendency sometimes to make it seem that your your lack of interest in Christianity is just because you don't know enough. So right. he gets us is to say, look, if you knew this extra information about who Jesus is, you would be far more open to engaging with Christianity. Um, I, I like that they, I don't know if subversive is the right idea, but they are trying to intentionally do things to yeah. challenge people to rethink their assumptions about who Jesus is. And so I think mm-hmm. it is true that they're saying, look, if you go to church every Sunday and you read your Bible every day, these are not intended for you. You are not the target audience. This is a, a marketing technique to get people who otherwise wouldn't have any interaction with Christianity um, engaged in some way. So I, I hear that. And yet I let, let me like let me hit this from a different angle. So Cameron, if you've been listening to this and you're a college student or you know somebody who's on a college campus, one of the most difficult things for Christians on college campus is you will periodically have some guy walk through campus, um, some modern day self-proclaimed prophet who's going to stand up on the fountain in the center of campus and scream at the top of his lungs Mm. that all the gays are going to hell and throw pages out of Bibles and whatever else. Um, And you know what? There's always a story about somebody coming to faith every once in a while that you can find through something like that. However, what you don't see behind the scenes is, and I have spoken at colleges right after that has happened, and all of the campus ministries were almost kicked off of college, off the campus, because there would be a revolt on campus, and they'd say, if this is what Christians believe, it has no place here. And so I would get to be the one who sticks my head in the guillotine, and they would say, we're going to give you one more shot. I, I, I spoke at campuses where all of the heads of like the interfaith council were sitting on the front row to make sure that, you know, I answered questions quote correctly and it wasn't berating or belittling. So it's mm. kind of like, well, I'm sure there's one good example that can come out of this, but the train wreck on the back end of it, of the relationships that were burned of the organizations that had already been there and working mm. diligently who were um, cast aside. So there's this, I mean, I've, I've gotten this too. With, like, have you ever had somebody um, evangelize you with a track outside of Walmart or something? Um, and you're almost like offended by it, even though you're already a Christian. It, 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 it's, <laughs> it's a sense of, <laughs> and I don't know what that awkwardness comes from. And so I don't know how to balance out the genuine call and excitement that people have to do radical things. And maybe if God is asking you to do it, you just have to do it. But I think that doing it as a pragmatism and a metrics kind of thing does not calculate. It's like, oh, um, we did 99 points of damage and ostracizing here and one point of good. Like if you're going to if you want to run the the pragmatism calculus, Mm. you need to be able to see the other side of the impact that it's having and be honest about that as well. And so it there are these moments that fit like that feel like a, a square peg in a round hole. And cultural engagement that really tramples on good Christian work that's being done in other categories. And, and I'm not saying that entirely about the He Gets Us campaign, but I'm just saying that the type of thing in general where we say, well, here's the solution. We're just going to blast our way through this with more money and more exposure um, has a cost to it also that isn't financial. Well, I mean, this this sounds familiar and this is well-trod territory. I mean, Bill Hybels began his church by doing marketing surveys and going door to door and finding out in the Chicago neighborhood 
Right. Yeah. What 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 was keeping people out of church? And so they they built a church tailored to consumer preferences. Now that's not in, perhaps the most. I mean, I think that's fair to say that's what they did. And from one perspective, it was wildly successful. But of course, now we have to, at this present moment, we have to say it depends entirely on what you mean by success. So if by success you mean reaching a massive audience, getting a huge budget, getting a big building, yes. If you mean cultivating discipleship and in-depth, lasting relationship with Christ and just doing the real gritty work of the church, I think we'd have to say no, not at all. And so we've seen the fruits of those kinds of labors. And so I said in the last podcast that this that this essentially reminds me of a glorified version of those billboards that we pass that say, you know, give you a message like, are you saved or heaven, hell, where are you going? So, and I stand by that, that conviction. That's, that's still, I mean, especially after hearing the, the thoughts behind this, but then again, this is worth, I mean, this is where you listeners were, were again, aiming to give you, to get the wheels turning and help you, help you think through this and think along. We're on our own thin ice here. We we recognize that. We recognize that, but I don't think Christianity has an image problem by and large. Now, well, do I okay. think that there have been some horrendous scandals right now? Of course, but here's a, okay, so I'm going to say something that's a bit risky. I am not downplaying what has been happening, for instance, in the evangelical church, all of all that's being revealed or the scandals or the change in tone since the 2016 election. I've been I was talking about what a prophetic blow that was to the public witness of the church before it was cool to do that. <laughs> I mean, it really was. Mm-hmm. I can. There's an old interview I can pull up where I said that, and the host clearly had no idea what to do with what I just said. But if you go back, if you look at, I mean, you look at the 80s, you look at the 70s, you're going to find your share of major Christian scandals, Christian celebrities falling from grace. So... I don't think so. I'm I am not downplaying, but I don't think that the huge problem here is that Christianity has an image problem. I think the real problem is that Christianity poses a problem to the cultural status quo right now in ways that it did not in the mm. 1970s mm. or the 1980s. This is a recent development, and things have. I mean, we talk about social acceleration a lot. We have been experiencing social acceleration. And I do think Aaron Wren is on to something when he points to that 2014 date of the, you know, the the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage being a decisive kind of cultural shift moment for the view of Christianity, where we go from seeing it as maybe somewhat problematic to now actively seeing it as pernicious and harmful and bad in its orthodox mm-hmm. expression. Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, there's, it changes the way that you do your pre-evangelism then. Um, because I think when John the Baptist marched into Herod's palace, like he knew what was going to happen. It's just like, but I know what the consequences <laughs> yeah. of this are. Um, he, he knew that he had a message that was repugnant to power. Um, but it was also the right thing for him to do is to share it. So we don't want to forget that element, but I want to come back to, so you're saying Christianity doesn't have an image problem. Um, and you're meaning image there as in like a marketing kind of image thing. Cause I think yeah, Christianity so does have an that. image. Well, cause I think there is an image problem. Let me lay out where, where I'm coming from. And then you tell me if this fits. So it, it, it doesn't have an sure. image problem. 
to one degree, like in, in the, in the public uh, marketing media side, I get that. Um, it also isn't always an information problem where we think people just lack access to the right information. I would say, and this is like just purely anecdotal, Nathan, just based off interactions over the last seven years at colleges, what we have a problem with is people being able to find Christians who believe the things that they think Christianity is actually about. So it's an integrity issue, not an information or an image issue of saying, okay, if let's look at the, the, he gets us campaign. Um, where are the Christians who are actually doing that? There's a perception that there aren't Christians who are already out there loving those who hate them. And, but you and I both know that's not true that there are a lot of folks out there doing it. It's just not a billboard dedicated to them. So mm -hmm. that's where I'm stuck between. I, there, there is a bit of an image issue, but it's a false image. Like th the public perception of Christianity does have an image problem, but it doesn't always represent the good stuff that we know well, is going on. So I, I have this, mm -hmm. I can't decide how, how I want to split this atom here of saying, on one hand, it is an image problem, but it's not an information image problem. It's an integrity image problem. That's a problem of problems right there. Okay, let me put it like this. Help me. Well, you know, one of the... Well, here's, a, here's an expression that I think carried a lot of currency for a while. The Jesus I Never Knew. So that's the title of Philip Yancey's book. That was it. That's a wonderful book, and it's been extremely helpful for a lot of people. Philip Yancey is describing, he's, he's talking about, in, in part, his background in a racist and fundamentalist and extremely legalistic church. And that was a big part. And so for him, for somebody with that background, the, the, the notion that Christianity, you need to be reintroduced or really introduced to the real Jesus. You thought you knew Jesus but you didn't. And so when you meet the truly, you meet the risen savior, it's this beautiful liberating experience. And it's, and you can walk away from that hideous legalistic background that you were shackled to for so long. That makes sense. And I think, and so his book is going to be valuable. It, it will just, it will always be valuable. I'm not saying his book is now outdated, but that makes more sense for people who have grown up churched in some way, shape mm -hmm. or form. They have some sort of religious background you know, and for, for people who grew up in the South during a certain era, the chances that they grew up in a legalistic church pretty high. Okay. That's not the case now, though. We, now, now again, I'm not saying his books, you know, outdated and irrelevant. That book is, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. But I'm saying a lot of people now, when they come to Christianity, they, they don't, they don't come with that kind of baggage. You have a lot of people who have, who are not churched at all now and who are essentially just hedonists in one way or another. People who just, you know, they've been taught their whole lives, do what feels okay. good, live, live, live in a way that, yeah. So, e so the, either this is a problem or marketing brilliance here. So you're saying you have a group of people who have lived a hedonist life, do what feels good and seems good to you. Yeah. Now think with me for a second about the phrase, yeah. he gets us. Would you have right. said, so if you're growing up in a Christian context, that Jesus not understanding you is your main objection to Christianity? Most of you listening to this are probably going to say <laughs> no. no, but is is that indicative no. of the culture in which we live that the he gets us phrase is the thing that is strategically by the best marketers 
known to be the most effective phrase in order to speak to a generation who wants things to be for them. Well, I, I'm, I'm Nate, pushing like either there's a, Christian. either why there's does, a misunderstanding does, or a brilliance there. I can't yeah, figure okay. out which one. Yeah. But why does, why does your average person on the street dislike Christianity strongly today? I mean, what are some of the reasons? Oh, because Jesus asked us to you do know, hard things. Yeah. And right. we, and, it, so, and that means adopting and living your life in a way that's counter things, to the cultural orthodoxy. You right. have to, you have so to deny yourself point, by and large, and leave behind all of the, TikTok stars. I don't know. Right. Yeah. So let me let me let me do a little comparing and contrasting here. For a Philip Yancey person, the 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 painful assumptions, the false assumptions were that Jesus will only love you if you have an immaculate, if you're a, an immaculate religious performer and you you get the right score mm -hmm. on everything and that you you know live that out. That's not what people don't like Christianity for today, though. They don't like it for because well, supposedly. It's again, you know, you hate gay people or so that's not true, but supposedly you, okay, so you disagree with gay, you, you don't condone gay, the gay lifestyle. You think that's wrong. You, you forbid all of these things. Well, my point here is that a lot of those objections, a lot of the things that people don't like about Christianity are true. It does tell you you're not <laughs> your own. It does place limitations <laughs> on your sexual identity. It does tell you you can't be whatever you want to be. So my point here is that so a lot of the reasons people have a visceral response to Christianity right now are large, by and large accurate. Now, is it true that Christians, because of those commitments, hate those people who fall into those categories? Well, of course not. That's a misconception that can be dispelled. But on the other hand, if people say, well, unless you accept all these practices, unless I get explicit affirmation, then you don't really love me. Well, then you're going to run into some some real serious issues too, and many many people do say that. By the way, so I saw you have, I saw so an advertisement. Get, I saw a link today to an article yeah. about emotional support water bottles. Yeah, so I'm just saying that's a culture in which that in, Christ yeah, is going to yep wreck your life. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, we live in a culture. We've talked about this before. Where not only is it hedonistic in the sense that you should just do by and large what feels good so long as it doesn't hurt anybody else that's the that's that's our culture's version of the golden rule do what feels good as long as you don't hurt anybody else but then also we live in a moment where we translate any form of hardship or emotional distress as something that's earth-shatteringly bad and unhealthy for you so yeah, you got some big problems there. So my my issue now back up and say now we now you have an ad campaign called He Gets Us and you porch and you portray Jesus in these scenarios where he is involved with all of the some of the more fashionable sins of our age. How can that not but send mixed signals? I mean, you don't <laughs> because I mean, I, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, but I, I think a lot of people who are not Christians may see something like that as even a bait and switch. Wait, you promised me this wonderful, compassionate, guru-like figure who, you know, meets us in all of these places and yet and, and, and will accept me. And now all of a sudden, bam, you're going to hit me with the <laughs> Romans and, you know, some of these passages in Matthew. I didn't. 
I didn't sign up for this. And but see, this is this is the problem that so many pastors have in their churches now, where where you actually try to press into obedience to Christ. And whoa, how dare you? Well, you shouldn't. Oh, so you're you're a Christian? Well, you shouldn't be sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. <gasps> how dare you? Who do you think you are? I mean. So- I'm laughing That's where here we're because at, man. <laughs> I, I remember a few years ago I was speaking at uh, a university that you have to have you have to be a very bright person and have very good test scores to attend this university. And there's a young guy. He's like, I got to talk to you. He's like, I started going to this campus ministry, and he's like, we're singing all these songs, and some of them, you know, about the love of God and sloppy wet kiss and the whole nine yards. And he's like, yeah. He's like, everybody's excited about that. He's like, <laughs> I mean, who's not down for love and all this? He's like, but then I started reading the Old Testament. And he's like, I don't know. Now I don't. And I was like, man, that you did go yeah. from like opposite ends of the pendulum swing there. Um, but was totally at a loss of what to do with moral boundaries and demands in the context of love. So mm-hmm. I, again, yeah. I'm, it's, it's hard. I, I'm right back to where I was at the end of the last one. I bet there will be valuable things to come out of this. And it's not over. It's going to keep going. And it's not like, Hey, here's some super old commercials and we're on to the next thing. I mean, there will be more to it um, and people will continue talking about it. And so I, it, I, I again think I, that the, the fundamental tension, if you're listening to this and you're like me, where you're like, um, that's just me sounding out tension. Um, <laughs> I think it's because we are, because it embodies that moment of transition where we're shifting from two paradigms or those paradigms are diverging on what is the fundamental problem facing the church? Is it the image of Christ or is it the difficulty of Christ? And then who's going to be the solution to it? Slick marketing in the business world or faithful proclamation through local churches and discipleship. And we don't want to set those up as mutually exclusive, but I think it's helpful to pull them apart as Cameron has done for us into separate categories so that we can kind of analyze and look at the way in which they interact with each other. And so I think that's a helpful paradigm that you've given us there, Cameron, to, um, we, we won't solve this and nobody listening to this will be like, Oh, I got it. You know, wash my hands of it quickly. Oh um, no, there's no, we're not solving it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, it wouldn't be a good thinking out loud issue if we came down like hundred percent on something, um, like mm-hmm. this, because we're watching, but we're pointing out as we're watching this, I think the tide is changing here. I think the culture is changing and we want to make sure that if we are attempting to be quote, relevant to the world around us, that there's a fine line between relevant and ridiculous and that the teachings of Jesus are relevant to the deeper systemic issues that are always perennially difficult in the human heart um, and sometimes characterizing them around maybe politically fashionable or culturally hot topics um, throws more on the fuel on the fire and brings uh, less light and more heat or the other way around. Hey, well, can I end on one positive note, Nathan, here? So, yeah, Ed Stetzer, yeah, so he he pointed out, he brought in C.S. Lewis's old <laughs> paradigm of, of you gotta, you have to sneak past the watchful dragons of the age. So I don't think that really fits with what they were, <laughs> what was happening with the He Gets Us ad campaign. But I want to point to someone who I think does do this well. And there are many, There, I mean, there are, there are many examples of people who are doing this today. So C.S. Lewis did that with the Chronicles of Narnia. That was one way where he wrote 
beautifully realized fantasy literature. And he, he did so with high, high level of creativity and in a realm where it would be understood in literature. This is, it's important to remember the context of a Super Bowl ad where you're, <laughs> you're right in the midst of a, a major consumeristic sort of milieu there. But think about Andrew Peterson's Wing Feather ah, series. Yeah, I was going to... I mean, I think those are... Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great example of, of somebody doing beautiful work. Those are books that you could... In fact, I've, I have recommended them, and I'm sure some of our listeners have to, to non-Christians who would love and appreciate them and whose children would love and appreciate them. I think, I think that's one example. So my, my point here is, take heart. People are doing this now, and they're doing it well. I mean, it is happening. Wonderful stuff is happening. And there are always, the Lord gifts, gives people, gives his kingdom people wonderful gifts to bring his message to a weary world for such a time as this. Always. That's all. It's always happening. So for those who, who you know, maybe hear some of this and think, well, gosh, confound it all. What are we going to do if $20 million in a Super Bowl ad campaign won't, won't do it? Well, it's being done right now. And it's being done well. And God's message is, is moving forward. And remember, you know, the church worldwide is doing absolutely wonderful and amazing things, especially in the global south. Yeah. This is and an amazing moment yeah. to be a Christian. Amen yeah. to that. But And so that's why I also, I, I hate doing anything that sounds like it's critical of what some other Christian group or organization is doing for that exact reason. On the other hand, I sure. think moving forward as the church, we can rely on the collective wisdom of um, people looking at things from different angles and um, helping each other out there on saying, eh, I don't think you snuck past the dragon on this one. Um, <laughs> good intention, but I think you kicked that one in the lips. Um, so there's a, yeah, I, I think the, the church has enough of a, Okay, well, let's, okay, one more note on that, Nathan. Okay. Well, one okay. more note on that. Sneaking past the dragon, <laughs> sneaking, that involves subtlety. A Super Bowl <laughs> ad with Jesus <laughs> at its center is there's it, it may be a lot of things and I, I I'm with you Nathan I think good will come of this and but there's nothing even remotely subtle about that <laughs> just say so, you know just 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 want just saying all right I'm done I don't but know anyway I think we just we, gotta wait and yeah see. we're done we gotta watch we have we gotta wait and see we gotta watch we hope this has been helpful to you if not eh. We did send our us best. An email. We do our best. By God's grace, we do our best. Yeah, send us an email. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www toltogether.com that's toltogether.com and please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends it really does help